Turning back to the book of Exodus, chapter 32, and we promised that we would not be as long in the book of Exodus as we were in the book of Genesis. Exodus, chapter 32, and verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not, uh, we do not know what is become of him. We have titled this message, The Subtlety of Apostasy and Idolatry. Apostasy and idolatry is very subtle. Even in our personal lives, we don't realize that we are apostatizing. And I think that this is a very interesting lesson that took place for us to, uh, to be warned by. As we continue our Old Testament survey of Exodus under the head, main head, Moses, the man of God, this passage would show exactly that, spiritual apostasy and idolatry. In a, in a matter of days, before the ink had dried on the two tablets of stone, Israel corrupted God's covenant. It was really Aaron who instigated this idolatry. And many times in the church, it is the pastor, the ministering servant, that initiates apostasy and idolatry in the church. It's a specific warning to men in the ministry. Many times it is those who ought to know better that permits idolatry because of fear of the people, the fear of the faces of men. Moses had only gone 40 days. You know the history. Israel lost their way that they were being led. And I know that some of us are quick to condemn Moses, but we should not do this at all. We should look in our own lives and our own church. We need, we need, God has put this here for our admonition and our example. And let us not, not let us not look to, to Aaron as wicked or evil. Don't ever do that. That's not what, that's not why the scripture is written. We are missing the point altogether. Must not be quick to condemn Aaron and the children of Israel but we should be mindful, and the Apostle Paul had the right perspective in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 7, when he quoted from this very text, saying, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, neither be you idolaters, as were some of them, not all of them, some of them, 
As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Paul went right back to this incident and warned the church at Corinth and us today. So don't ever say they were bad. Just read, it says, when the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mount, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us for us, for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. I read it from a more contemporary text version. Now, the people here were fundamentally wrong on two counts. One, Moses was not delayed in coming down from the mount. What's the hurry when you are with God? What's the hurry? He was with the Lord. Human nature is always impatient in waiting upon God. The Bible says, he who hastens his feet sins. Sometimes we might be in a mad rush to do what we want only to face the consequence. Second, it was not Moses who brought the people out of Egypt. They're wrong. Exodus 22, 20 verse 2 said, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, Apostasy and idolatry always begin with error. How we view God, how we view his redemption, and how we view his servants. And these people were wrong on two counts. Sometimes you and I are like these people. This evening, there are four quick observations that I will make in this survey. One, regression by the people of God. Two, intercession by the man of God. In this case, it was Moses. Three, detection of apostasy by a servant of God, and for consecration by the remnant, or if you want to use the word separation. Uh, but I prefer consecration because the word consecrate is used in the text. And as of course, it's a long passage, so we can only be considering selective texts. But first, let us look at the spiritual regression of the people of God. And this is seen in verses 1 through 10. If you are um, categorizing or making outlines in the, in the chapter, I would suggest that you do it this way. Verses 1 through 10 
is where we find spiritual regression. Now, as, as some of us rightly observe, Egyptian influence and culture changed the children of Israel over the years. And what it is that changes our culture and our worship? What is it? What is it that changed us? It's the culture that we're in. What we see. Uh, what, what we see other churches doing. Uh, and churches that we, we hold up there. And when we hold churches up there, remember they can come down here very quick. And we shouldn't follow churches. And what they're doing, what is successful to them, may not be successful to us. We should follow the word of God. When I stop following the word of God, it is time to tell me to look for some place to go. And I'm serious. I hope you men would respect me that much to tell me when I'm losing it. Yes, Egyptian influence changed the culture. You know something? The same thing permeated throughout the generations of Israel. You remember what Jeroboam did? He made two, not one, two calves. They were able to persuade Aaron to make a golden calf. Now the enemy is very clever. He often looks for a weak link to corrupt God's people. I used to hear my mother say when I was a boy, hi, when, no, where all house is. I don't know if you guys ever, ever, ever heard that before. High wind, the wind that blows, nowhere to find an old house to blow it down. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, and, 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 and these people found weakness in Aaron who vacillated under pressure. And people in any given congregation know how far they can go with certain people. If we stand for nothing, we will be easily driven by people. The ministry is a very lonely life. We have very few friends, even though there are many people in church. And I often wonder about that. I hear Pastor Ted Donnelly, a man of his stature, late Ted Donnelly, say something like that. What happened? A lonely life. Not many men have the fortitude to stand upon truth. And verse 1 is an example. The people willfully took advantage of the absence of Moses as though God was out of sight. And sometimes people think that they can blindfold the Holy Spirit. His people form a united front and said to Aaron, Up, 
make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what is become of him. Now, this is not true. They know exactly where Moses went. They saw the smoke. They heard the thundering. They begged that God don't speak to them, but let Moses speak to them. They heard and they saw these things. Impatience is a terrible thing. This suggestion not only undermined the leader Moses, it is a regression from what God said in the second commandment. You shall not have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. For I am a jealous God. They willfully violated this command. In our day, people do not see regression in their spiritual lives. They do not see regression in the church. They, they do not see as ministers see. Common people don't see this. They see crowds. They see the church thriving. They see people. And whenever there are people, there is potential for spiritual regression and discontentment. Whenever there are people. The making of idols today has become very popular. The idols of pleasure. People allow, as I was saying this morning, the material to take them away from worship. And they tell you in a minute, but, but I need the money. I need the money. Well, yeah, I need the money too. So we should not fall what Aaron and the people did, we don't make, we don't fashion golden cows, but we have sacred cows. Another idol many have created is the idol of prosperity. America, New York, is a dangerous place for professing Christians. Very dangerous. We all must earn a living, and I would encourage you to earn a living. But the command is clear. You shall have no other gods before me. And whenever the Lord take a secondary place in the Christian life or the church, whenever he takes a secondary place or Christian testimony has become eroded. I wonder if we're Christian at all. This idea was very overwhelming. It was very popular. Verse 3, and all the people 
break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron should have stopped right there. The gold the people had was because God gave it to them when they were leaving Egypt. They spoiled the Egyptians. God allowed that. God graciously gave it to them. In Exodus 12, 35, 36. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor. This word is grace. In the sight of the Egyptians. So that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And at times we take God's gracious gifts and sacrifice them to the devil. Look at our children. What we do to them. They are gifts. And some of you get tired of hearing me. They're not gods. They're sinners just like you and me. The gifts, the gracious gifts God gives his people are sacrificed to the devil instead of being sacrificed to the Lord. Brethren, God says that children are the heritage of the Lord. You know what the word heritage means? It means he owns them. But many Christians don't see it this way. The common gifts God has entrusted to us, time. And as I speak to you, we, 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 can, we can sacrifice time for the world and not for God. Instead of the children of Israel dedicate this goal given to them by the Egyptians to God's service, they form a golden calf. And, and Aaron helped them along the way to boot the church. God was not neutral. He is never neutral. Verse 7 and 8. Here we read in Exodus 32, verse 7 and 8. The Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down. For thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You almost don't believe these words, but they are true. Here the Lord in this text, notice he denies his people. He calls them Moses' people. Go get you down for your people 
which you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Here God played them back their same words. This Moses that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, God hear our words. And he bring them back to bear on them. And you and I, you can write this down. When we go astray, the Lord will deny us. He will deny us as individuals. He will deny us as his church. Read the seven churches in Revelation, in Asia Minor. Read, read again. And that was centuries ago. What do you think now? If the church had become like that 2,000 years ago, what do you think now? You think it's better? I don't think so. Remember that verse in Timothy? It's a fearful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Second Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Israel's regression in their worship at Sinai is seen in three ways. I'll give them to you quickly. I would not elaborate. One, the object of their worship was changed. A molten calf. They wanted a God they could see. And today, the charismatic movement is based on that. A God they can see, feel, and touch. Whenever the object of worship is something created by man, it is an idol in the church. Second, their direction in worship had changed. They went to the wrong man. They went to Aaron. It was Moses who received the schematics. They went to Aaron. And some of us, when we want to do our own thing, we go to our peers. We call them on the phone. We discuss with them the direction we are going. We don't consult with God's word or the one who has God's word. Third, the motivation of Israel's worship had changed. Instead of their worship sought to bring glory to God, it provoked the Lord to wrath. Nine and ten. This terrible thing that we are seeing in this new Calvinism. Pastor Scholar, I know that you are versed in it. Be careful. Well, I had a whole conference with it. I don't know. Just before COVID. And I ain't calling nobody's name, but Wayne Cruden and these men are big, lofty, educated men that are taking the church downstream. And many churches are following. 
I said to you guys, I found that even the great family radio has taken a turn with new Calvinism. And if you listen carefully, you will hear the speakers. Station that was helpful to many of us in bringing the gospel. And God said in the latter years, the church would apostatize. Stay close to God and his word. Verse 9 and 10, under that last subhead, motivation of worship, provoke God, we read, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them. And I will make of thee a great nation. Oh, by the way, God did make a great nation. Nation of priests and kings. So that's the first point, brethren. Regression of the people of God. And how apostasy can be very subtle. Fessing Christian can become like this. And has become like this. The church can become like this. But wonderfully, we come to our second point, <coughs> intercession by the man of God, verses 11 through 14. Verse 11 and 12 says this, Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Brethren, in our prayer, when we pray, we must repeat to God his promises. Mm -hmm. That's what Moses, the man of God, did. God twisted around and says, the people who you brought up corrupt themselves. God says, no, 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 no. They're your people that you brought out of the land of Egypt. With a stretch. Remember, God, you brought them out. Lord, remember you told me you will build your church. You told me that. I'm banking on that. The Lord said to Paul, when he was beaten up, don't be afraid. I have much people in this city. Corinth. And the only reason why we keep going and going and going is because of God's promises. Only some of you can go. Makes intercession. And when you make intercession, you better be biblical and stop with the mumble jumble. He reminds the Lord that it was him. And the one thing about the man Moses, it, it, he was a humble man. Today there are many men in the ministry who seem to be getting bigger than the ministry. They speak of how many books they have written, how many conferences they were asked to speak at. We ought to cultivate humility. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
Moses was quick to credit the Lord for bringing the people out of Egypt, verse 12. And he was concerned about the reputation of God. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your face, fierce wrath. And repent. Change your mind from the harm, from this harm to your people. No man of God wants to see one in his church lost. And yet it is a reality in the church. If you and me have any redeemed faculties or ultimate goal will be the Lord's reputation. And sometimes I wonder about men. His, his, his reputation, especially in the sight of the heathen and the unsaved in our church. It's God's reputation. Notice the basis for this intercession in verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Now this is a covenant promise. Remember, this is what this is that was repeated so many times. The basis of Moses' intercession was the covenant promise of Yahweh. Going all the way back to Genesis 22. The basis of our prayers should be the salvation of the people in our church. That's who Moses is interceding for. The people that he was leading. We meet on Saturdays to pray, but that's not enough. We are to pray for one another. We pray for the wives in the church. We pray for the children. We call them by names because of what we see. That is intercession. We should pray for our people, for their salvation. Charity begins at home. However, note the result of the man of God intercession in verse 14. And the Lord repented of the evil which he taught to do to his people. Now let me say it quickly. No human can get God to change his mind. Not a single one of us. 
not even the blessed Savior who prayed, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But he was quick to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. You and I think if Jesus couldn't twist the hand of Almighty God, what make you and I think that we can twist his hand to do our bidding? We need to get away from that nonsense. When I pray, things change. Well, it depends on who you're praying to. If you have a God like that, he isn't God at all. And we need to be biblical. You may say God changes mind because of Moses. You are wrong. It's not what it is. But let me say, God wants you and me to pray because he works through our prayers. Not because of our prayers, but through our prayers. And sometimes we see this when they are according to his will. So we have covered two things, brethren, this evening in our survey of Exodus. Regression by the people of God, intercession by the man of God. Three, we are getting there, detection my servant of God. And this is a long one, but I only highlight 15 to 25. I give you this heading, but I can't cover the whole thing because it's a survey. But my question is this evening to you, can you detect idolatry and apostasy? Can you detect it? Verse 15 and 16. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. Now here, can you just picture Moses coming down? You see you see a lot of portraits of this with, with these two huge um, stones with the engraven hand of God. And, the, you know, the, the, the tables. But, but Moses had not seen the full gravity of Israel's sin when he was on the mountain top. But when his feet hit the ground, he saw the true picture. And you know what happened. But it was Joshua who quickly identified Israel's idolatry. And this young man who was Moses' minister, he was well trained. And we read in verse 17 and 18, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. You see how Joshua identified the worship of Israel? A war. 
But he said, it is not the noise of the song of victory. I think the King James says masteries. Nor the noise of the cry of defeat. But the song of singing, I hear. False worship has many elements of true worship. Don't be deceived. In fact, people in false worship often sing the same Christian hymns that you and I sing. Don't be deceived. False worship is often denoted by its music. Verse 19, so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. Moses reacted the same way that God reacted. And he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He became angry. And sometimes you and I think that ministers don't get angry. And sometimes they do stupid things too. But God never chastised Moses for this. He chastised him for smiting the rock twice. But he didn't chastise him for this. You know why? Moses was acting like God. And he's painting a picture that no one can obey the commandments. That's why they were broken. We need the new birth. And that's why Moses was told, come up here with two new tables and I will write again the law. You see, God has to write again the law on our hearts. Moses was acting out the mind of God. When he smashed them. And that's me and you. That's what you and I did to the law. God never chastised him. And sometimes servants of God depict the God that they serve. Say he broke them at the foot of the mountain. False worship is always identified by one's object of worship. The children of Israel manufactured a golden calf. Joshua called Israel's worship a noise of war. And this is exactly what false worship is it is war against God. Moses not only destroyed the idol, he, sen he censured, he censured Aaron. I've got to drop down to verse 21. And Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? He didn't beat around the bush. Let me tell you, husbands. Let me tell you, fathers. Let's put the blame where it should go. 
in this church. I say that meaningful reformation takes time and sacrifice. But that reformation must be sustained because the ground covered can be, la can be lost quickly, especially if we don't have any backbone to repeat what Mishloch um, said. Maybe with backbone, what he was talking about. We need men with backbone. It's a figure of speech. He cited the 80 priests that withstood you, Uzziah. and said, it doesn't pertain to you to burn incense in here. Get out. The king. He reached out his hand. No, it wasn't he that reached out his hand. He fought with them. He was turned into a leper. And the next few months he spent in quarantine. Never recovered. And that's why Isaiah can write, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. God had to get Uzziah out of the way before Isaiah could see the Lord. Reformation is not the doctrines of grace that I teach you here. It's the life that we live. It's the worship that we offer to God. Not many people want to stay here. Finally, consecration and separation by the remnant. Verses 26 to 32. In verse 26, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. All the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. He's saying to him, who is on the Lord's side? But it is more than a hymn. It's a call to Christian separation. The remnant were represented by the Levites. You know, you know who the Levites are. There were, there were special people dedicated to serve God. But the Levites here did something that I often wonder about. They were called to task. To kill. And that's what the law does. It destroys. And you know there's a contrast between here and Pentecost. There's a contrast between law and grace. On Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. Here, 3,000 perish. And the law brings damnation. Grace brings salvation. When the dust was settled, even though God says that he would forgive, there's a consequence. There's a consequence for idolatry and apostasy. God doesn't brush off sin like me and you, sweep it under the rug. Let's forget it, Pastor. Let's, let's move on. That's what you would like me to do. Let's move on. Give, give him a chance. There's a consequence. I am moving on with their serious sin until it is taken care of. It's more than a hymn who's on the Lord's side. Verse 28, children of Levi did according to the word 
Moses, they fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Can say anything about women? 3,000 men. Usually it is men of war. And this is how the Lord viewed Israel's apostasy and idolatry. Now many people today, as I conclude, think that worship is having a good time. As a matter of fact, you hear some of them saying, I hear some of them, oh, we had a good time at church yesterday. Weren't moved to conviction. Weren't moved to separation. Weren't moved to consecration. We had a good time. These people were probably having a good time. They sat down to eat and rose up to play. Paul said, in these days, these last days that I believe we're in, when they say peace and safety, then come of sudden destruction, and they shall not escape. And Paul was particularly speaking about those who believe in visions and voices and tongues and whatever. Read it carefully in the book of Thessalonians when he's speaking about the end times, brethren. So brethren, I'm going to conclude by saying in this survey, we saw regression by the Lord's people. They turned aside quickly out of the way. And we have been seeing this in our church. We, we, you have, I've been making an appeal every Lord's Day evening about people who are satisfied with um, their, their hour or hour and a half and they go about their business. And something even, I'm concerned about Vernice, when the COVID was up, she was very helpful, she was very useful. She used to come every other Sunday no, you see her every two or every three. And her, her poor daughter, I'm concerned about her in Hoffney class. Did you visit with her? Did you ask her what's going on? Loretta, do you ask these parents when you don't see these three? Do you ask them? Apostasy is very subtle. Am I the only one to see it? Turning aside quickly out of the way. To apostatize is to turn aside from the way. You know what the way is. You know who is the way. When this is done, men will create other gods. Chances are if they're not here, they're serving another god. We see this subtle way in the church. We saw intercession by the man of God. Moses, on behalf of the people, pray. Come with me on Tuesdays and pray. Get up and pray for your people that you see your children. We saw the detection of idolatry and apostasy by God's servant. You and I ought to see it. You men ought to see it just as anybody else that is spiritual. Last we saw called to separation and consecration. We're called to kill nobody like the Levites. But we're called to bring the gospel. Like the gospel do the killing. How would you view 
your spiritual walk. I'm talking to some of you. How would you view your spiritual walk? You know, God put pastors, as the song say, as watchmen. Now, if the watchman is sleeping, he's not going to see anything. Remember, we used to go out Raymond watching for us when we were staying in Harare. We used to bring him down to watch. One morning at 5 o'clock, I decided to go to see if he was watching. Raymond was fast asleep in the vehicle. I says, Raymond, I am not paying you to sleep, but to watch. God didn't call me to sleep, but to watch. And as watchmen, you're on a tower and you see your people and you warn them. But some of you will not listen. You're stiff-necked, just like these people. We saw intercession. How would you view your walk? Now, fishermen, the sir, fishermen never see fish stink. I mean, the ears and the gills all rotten, and you would never, ah, this fish is stinking. You had it for six weeks. And a person will never tell you their problems, they're saying. Somebody else have to tell them. How would you view yourself? The Lord is out of sight, just like in Moses' day. The Lord was out of sight. But the Christian is not out of his sight. The scripture says, if we deny him, he will deny us. I encourage you, the Bible says, do not go, do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall all reap if we faint not. If you are a regressing professor of religion, this verse, do not be weary in well-doing. Today we can make our golden calf. We can worship the world rather than the creator. We can do it very subtly. Oh, pastor, I, I got a, I got a thing to go to Sunday, whatever. Uh, can it wait till Wednesday or Thursday? Why Sunday? Because Sunday is the Lord's day. That's why Sunday. We can make our calf, but we should never be at a standstill like these people were. When we are when we are at a standstill in our Christian lives, serious things would happen. When water is at a standstill, it harbors mosquitoes and it soon begins to stink. Like the Dead Sea. Stink. A lot of mineral deposits, but a stinking Dead Sea. And the Lord Jesus never went there to minister. He ministered by the Galilean Sea. It had an inlet and an outlet. If you are to stand still, you'll soon begin to stink. There's no Christian that are stand still. 
Every man-made God would come to naught. Exodus 32, 20. The Bible says Moses destroyed with fire. Fire purifies, but fire destroys. And today, many servants of God are pressured, pressured into actions by the majority. Sunday evening worship service, some of my brethren are down the tube. Sunday evening worship service. I like Sunday evening worship service. Down the tube. Prayer meetings are canceled in favor of work schedules. Brethren, let us not apostatize because it is very subtle. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a piece of history before our eyes that we can look at, that we can reflect on. In a matter of days, this is what happened. And when it was all said and done, 3,000 were consumed. We thank you for grace, O Lord. On that great day of Pentecost, you said that when you visit, you will visit their sin. And you visit our sin at Calvary. We pray, Lord, that you will help us not to look back or to stand still, but to go forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.